The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. Welcome to Start Smart, the TA Tech podcast that's all about the effective implementation of talent technology. You know, there's lots of tech being brought into talent acquisition these days, and the way to start smart to make sure that you get the KPIs and ROI that you're looking for is to have a successful implementation. And that's what this podcast is all about. Today, we're going to tackle a really big issue in effective implementation, and that is feedback loops. Check this out. 50% in a recent survey, 50% of business leaders said that they use feedback loops to keep track of changes in their customer base. Just half of all business leaders say they're using feedback loops to understand the monumental changes going on among customers. If feedback loops are being used that infrequently among sales folks, then you can bet that it's equally as great uh, a challenge in the recruitment space. So to talk about that, my guest today is one of the real thought leaders in our space, a true expert. Maury Hannigan is the CEO of Spark Start. Maury, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. So let's begin at the beginning. Tell us a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your company. As you mentioned, I am CEO of SparkStart. SparkStart is a recruitment marketing platform that focuses on video for recruitment marketing. We are big believers that video is compelling, connects with candidates, communicates. But my background, I started at Procter & Gamble in marketing and then went on to Pepsi at marketing. I'm a marketer by training and mindset and believe that recruitment marketing should be easy. It should be efficient. It should be measurable, a, a topic near and dear to my heart, uh, because I've come from places that are, are very disciplined in their, their look at analytics and decision-making on it. So we designed a platform so that recruitment marketing can be run more like a business, where you've got real metrics, where you can really track things. Um, so this is a topic I'm really excited to talk about, because we see an awful lot of organizations that have this idea, oh, let's go do employer branding. And let's post a lot of social media and let's tell a lot of employee stories. And there's never any real accountability. You know, they're measuring things like impressions, how many people saw this. That's different than results. So, and then, you know, all the the tech tools are are own included that supposedly make this easier. How many organizations are using it well? How many of them are getting their money's worth? How many sign agreements and have tech that just languishes out there? So it's something that I, I talk a lot about with clients because we're very focused on ROI. You know, we got to make sure if someone's going to bring in our platform that they're going to see real measurable results from it. So it's a, a topic that I, I engage in often. Excited to talk to you about it. Well, great. So for those of you just joining us, the topic for today is the importance of feedback loops in talent acquisition. And, and I think it's important to just make sure we're all 
reading off the same page, if you will. What, what in your view, Maury, is a feedback loop? And, and equally as important, how is it different from simply monitoring the progress of an implementation project? When we talk about feedback loops, we're talking about a really disciplined process that starts first and foremost with base data, or, or maybe in a step one, what is it you're going to measure? How are you going to determine whether or not this is successful? And how are you going to do that on a quantitative basis? So you start with what, what does success look like? What are the things you're going to measure? And what's your base data today? And, and we'll get back to that because oftentimes we find that clients want to make sure you know they see improvement, but they don't know what kinds of results they're getting today. But once you've got that, then it's a real discipline process of collecting the data to make sure you're collecting the data from the right sources, it's timely, it's clean, analyzing that data, not just looking at it and gee, that looks fine, but analyzing it, coming up with real insights as to what the data is telling you. I'm a big believer that you should only collect decision data. You know, are you going to do something different if that number is high versus that number is low? You're not going to change anything based on the number, then kind of question why you're collecting the number. But once you do that and get your insights, then you make a decision about what are we going to do differently? And then you implement it. And the reason it's called the loop is you start all over again. So this is very different than asking your, you know, head of TA, how's it going? <laughs> or asking the recruiters, you know, how do you like it? You know, are you, are you using the system? Not that qualitative data isn't important. And I don't mean to minimize that. At some point, you do need to ask your recruiters, is this easy to use? Does this fit in your workflow? Are you seeing results? There is some anecdotal data that absolutely can be helpful. But when you're buying, particularly if you're buying a, a platform or anything sizable, there's a whole different process, which is it's just a more disciplined process than we see most organizations engaging in today. Yeah, I think I would add that you know, when you monitor a project, which is, as you've just said, a good thing, really that's a static activity in that you're looking at the status of a project on an ongoing basis. A feedback loop is really more proactive, and it's all about continuous improvement. It's about, again, as you were saying, looking at the state of something, finding out how it can be improved, and then implementing a process whereby that improvement is implemented, and then you do it all over again. I think uh, rinse and repeat is, a, is an important part of an effective feedback loop. So, okay, so we're all in agreement that feedback loops are designed to help a project leader and the project team make sure that they're moving towards their goals in an effective way. Um, and it's an iterative process to use your word. But let's take a step back and just ask, who should be implementing feedback loops? If you're implementing a piece of talent technology, who's going to be responsible for saying, okay, we're going to implement this feedback loop and who should be included? Well, that's obviously going to depend on what the technology platform is that you're putting in. To some degree, you want to have the, the ultimate person responsible, probably someone a level above the individual who's got a vested interest in implementing it. <laughs> um, because, you know, we look a lot at, at vanity metrics. If you want to show that something's working, you can probably do that. So, I'd say you go back to the check writer, who's the one who's ultimately spending resources on this, and make sure that there's agreement up front 
on what metrics you're going to measure. And I do believe there's a, a real value in the qualitative data. I don't want to dismiss that, but I don't ever want to be content that that alone is all you need to do. This isn't about, oh yeah, everybody's happy. <laughs> that's nice. And that's very different than saying, yeah, we're using this thing. Yes, it's in, you know, shortening our days to hire if that's an appropriate metric, but everybody is frustrated because it's taking them longer and, and so forth. So that qualitative data is, is absolutely valuable. And I'm very sympathetic to TA leaders who say, you know, the real measures we want around here are quality of hire. And yet how you really measure that is really hard and no one's come up with the perfect solution. There are some good attempts at it, but it's a hard one to measure. Time to hire is also a very hard thing to measure because it can vary so much based on the role that you're looking for. And cost per hire is another one that should you be looking at that? Absolutely should be looking at it, but that's going to vary depending on the role. It's a place where I think A-B testing is so important. Even, Peter, before we started this broadcast, you and I were talking about just the change in the employment market and you know how much layoffs are impacting and what that is doing to the the kinds of numbers that employers are seeing and applicants and things like that. So you can put a job out today and get a dramatically different number of applicants than you did for that exact same job 90 days ago. So it's easy to say, hey, this tool really helped us increase our number of applicants. Maybe, but maybe the market just shifted on you. So part of the discipline here is doing good A-B testing. And that was a long answer that got around to your question of who no, should... No, that's fine. <laughs> I learned a lot as, <laughs> as as you were going along, so so no worries at all. But I, you know, in the literature on feedback loops, they always use the word stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders in the process? They should be included as participants in the feedback loop exercise. And you know, you mentioned the authority, the guy or gal who's going to write the check, uh, the person maybe overseeing the users. But you know, we're talking about the recruiters who are going to have to to implement and use the, the tool on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe even a hiring manager, maybe even somebody from the IT department. Right. And don't forget candidates. <laughs> candidates are stakeholders in this as well. So Absolutely. Good point. Good point. But TA Tech has, has uh, produced a book on technology implementation, talent technology implementation. And we got together a group of folks from both the uh, industry side and the employer side. One of the people on the uh, corporate side said, hey, listen, one of the things that's often overlooked in these kinds of efforts is compliance. The director of com compliance really ought to be a participant in a lot of this stuff. Not in all of it, but certainly in, in enough of it to make sure that we're paying attention to the impact on compliance of any new practice, procedure, tool, whatever the case may be. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't have too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, you don't want to have too many stakeholders. On the other hand, you want to make sure you have all the right stakeholders participating. Would you agree? I do. And, and to some degree, I often feel sorry for compliance because nobody's happy to see them walk in the room. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, compliance. Um, maybe they just ought to change their name. Yes, absolutely. You need to, to look at all of it. But you can also strangle a project. We, we've seen organizations where, to your phrase of too many cooks in the room, 
there are so many people who want to oversee or check. Um, it's something, quite frankly, we see with video all the time that often legal is over-involved. Legal wants to review scripts before videos are made. Well, you know, these days where you're making videos on your phone and you're not incurring any costs, there's really no need to do that. But making sure that the people who are having input are making input from their area of expertise. So in the same way, we don't want to see legal go, oh, I don't like that video. Well, that's not what we're asking you. We're asking you, is there any legal reason we shouldn't be using this video? But that's probably true for any TA tech tool that you're implementing. Yes, compliance should look at it and say, are there any compliant issues here? Not, do you like it? Do you think we should be using it? They're not recruiters. They're not candidates. Um, they're not there to evaluate the tool. They're there to input from their area of expertise. Legal should be there. Legal, but legal should be asked the question, are there any legal concerns here? Are there any exposures here? Are there any things that give us, you know, would put us in a non-defensible situation? They should be asked from their area of expertise, not do you think we should do this? Because recruiters on the front line understand what it takes to be competitive in the marketplace. And you have to respect them. And you have to respect their knowledge of the market and their expertise and, and respect their ability to get the job done. So yes, you want to include everyone, but you want to be really clear on where the, the, the bumpers are on the lane. <laughs> you know, please come and comment on your area of expertise. Don't come in here thinking you're running this project. And, you know, you're going to comment on things that are outside your, your knowledge base. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So most of the literature about feedback loops says that, you know, there are a number of specific steps that you should take to put one in place. Uh, you almost completely iterated them in the beginning in your answer to the first question, but I think it's important to go back and, and talk about them. So in your view, what, walk us through the process of setting up a feedback loop, if you would. What are the steps? The very first step is deciding what you want to measure and what constitutes success. So are you going to measure things like, let's say, yield on screening calls? Your recruiters get their short list and they do their set of screening calls and there are people who are not qualified, not available, who didn't really read the job description, not interested. You know, is this tool helping you? That's a, a key point of efficiency, right? Anytime a recruiter reaches out and actually connects with a candidate and screens them, and that ends with a not moving forward, some pieces fall in there. So start with really looking at what is it we want to measure? Where do we expect to see the efficiencies from this tool? Or where do we expect to see the results? So you decide on that, and then you decide on what is your base data? I'm amazed at the number of organizations that don't really have good data on what their yield is from screening calls. <laughs> and just so we call people and yeah, you know, we move a couple of people forward to the hiring manager, of, you know, or is it the number of, um, you know, candidates you're going to submit to a hiring manager or how many they choose to interview or how many interviews they need to go to and have enough data there. So before you ever launch anything, there's a big chunk of work that really thinks about what do we expect this tool to do for us? How do we measure that? What's our base data? And then you start with how are we going to collect it? 
It's not about just asking a recruiter, gee, you know, how many people do you talk to for this? Like, how are you, how are you measuring that as it goes? So starting with your basics, when you get down to your data collection, make sure your data collection is clean. Um, it should be happening, you know, synchronously with as the actions are happening, not afterwards, let's review and talk about, you know, how many you think happened. Anytime you can collect data, you know, in an automated fashion, it, it's, tends to be more accurate than anything that's manually held, but sometimes you have to do manual. The analysis part is important. And there, for any organization that has the value of uh, an HR analytics team, um, <laughs> people who understand the difference between percentages and percentage points, I'm amazed to hear people say something went from 3% to 4%, so it went up 1%. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> it didn't. But I mean, just people just don't have training in, in the analytics. So making sure someone's really looking at it. And then I think the important piece is asking why. You know, yes, this went up. Why? Was it the tool that we just put in that made this go up? Were there other features there? Was it because we started measuring it that it went up? Making sure you really understand that data. Oftentimes, you'd be surprised if there's a lot of focus on something, you get better results. There's a placebo effect of just really measuring things. And then the discussion. You know, And here, Peter, to your point of including the right people, sit down and let's talk about it. Here's the data. Here's the insights to the analysis. Here's what we believe is happening. And here's what we believe will make a difference. And there you involve your stakeholders again. We think if we tweak this, we think if we change the timing of this, we think if we, whatever the next step is, that's going to get us closer to where we want to be and understand everything has consequences, right? Everything has consequences. So if you do X, what is the why? <laughs> and before you go too far down the road, make sure you think through what, you know, so what does that mean? What does that take time away from? Or what impact does it have on the candidate? What, what are the implications of what you're doing? And then decide, which is something that's hard for organizations to do. At some point, you need to put a stake in the ground and go, okay, we're going to modify this or we're going to change this. That's where you're, you're going to go and do that process. But it really is, it doesn't have to be hugely time consuming. And, and once organizations get used to doing this, it becomes much easier the first time through. I think it takes some time, but I think once you develop this kind of discipline, it really does make a difference in, it, it's one of the things that leads you to a high performing organization. And there's some organizations out there that are really, just really well managed and well run. And then there are others that boy, there are people that are working hard and they just don't seem to get the kind of results they want and they're frustrated. And, and I think it's this kind of discipline that helps. You know, in, increasingly, as we have been challenged by an up and down economy, there's been a focus on making sure when you acquire technology, not just talent technology, but all technology, that you actually get the return you expect on that investment. And in our particular world, you know, the acronym that trips lightly off the lips is KPIs. You know, you, you are looking for an improvement in your key performance indicators. So, you know, I think one of the key points that you just made is you have to have a goal. You know, what are you trying to accomplish by buying this technology? What kind of improvement are you likely to, are you hoping to see? And then a feedback loop is you measure where you are on the spectrum of improvement. And if you haven't reached your goal, why not? That's the analysis. 
And then what steps can we take to remediate the situation? Those steps have to actually take place. You've got to make it an action to implement something that will improve or you expect to improve performance. And then to your point, you measure again and you see if you got that advancement in your KPIs. And if you didn't, why not? And it goes on over and over again. So it's it's all about, in, in my view, really making sure that you deliver the beef, that you bought this piece of technology for your company uh, and the company is expecting a return on that investment and the responsibility of the organization that purchased it, in this case, the recruiting team, is to make sure that the company achieves that goal and gets that ROI. Well, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm going to cut some slack for the individuals who run TA organizations because there's a reality. There are a couple of things. One is that humans are messy. You know, when you're going to actually hire someone, there are all sorts of things that happen that aren't always measurable. You get a great candidate the final minute they decide not to take the job. So you, you've got this very unpredictable factor, which is humans, which are your hires. You've got a market that's changing under you almost quarter to quarter right now. I mean, look at what we've watched in the last two years between shutting everything down for COVID manic hiring in 2021, layoffs in 2022. I often say for the heads of TA, they don't know what they're buying tech for. What is it that they need to do for the next six months? Are they going to you know, have massive layoffs or are they going to go back to hire like crazy? So this is hard. So you know, just giving respect to people, it's easy for you and I to sit here and go, oh, this is what they should do. This is what they should measure. These are the things they should do. But they're operating in a world where the ground is shifting under them on a continual basis. So having the goal, having the objective do, having the discipline is absolutely essential. But let's just acknowledge it's also hard. It just is. I absolutely could not agree more. To be blunt, a feedback loop is a form of protection. It's a way of protecting the recruiting team and the heads of TA as best they can. I mean, they... they are dealing with an unpredictable world, no more unpredictable, I might add, than the customer base for any product that the company is selling. So sales is equally challenged. Uh, Their changes of buyer behavior are uh, equally as erratic. But what we want to do is apply the very best tools we can to make sure that we've done everything we can to ensure the organization and the recruiting team, you know, performs at its peak. It is an especially challenging place right now, and I would argue maybe has always been for talent acquisition, but it's important to use these kinds of tools as a way of, if you will, protecting the organization from those outside vagaries. Okay, so, you know, I'm sure that the people in the audience who are listening to this are saying, you know, we're already overloaded, thank you very much. Uh, And, you know, we got all these wrecks and we got all these pressures And now you're telling me we got to devote all this time and effort to setting up these complex feedback loops and, and it's just a hell of a lot of work. So let's talk about what you get out of it. You know, what are, in in your view, what are the benefits that are generated by a well-performing, a well-oiled feedback loop? Well, there's a piece, we just launched a new product that measures how recruitment marketing assets are being used, which sort of generates all the data for your feedback group. 
And we don't say this out loud a lot, but a lot of what it does is for any head of employer brand, it justifies all the work they're doing. It gives them the numbers. But so any kind of feedback loop does that. I hate to make it sound so so petty, but at one level, it says you've, you've measured what you've done. You've measured your performance. So to your point, yes, it protects yourself and the organization by saying, yes, I spent this money. Here's what we got for it. Here's the result we got for it. So th- that's a very personal result from it. But in this market, <laughs> I would absolutely um, take all the protection I can get for myself and, and my team. So, so there's that piece. There's also a piece of if you've spent this money in, in good conscience, you know, to your organization, you want to make sure you've got the return. So look at it and see if it is giving you the results. And if not, pull the plug. You know, there's no point in paying for something that's either not being used or not generating results. We're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of pushback from organizations about signing things that are longer than one-year agreements. You know, this idea that we're going to start off and sign a three-year agreement. A lot of people are going, nope, we need to get this in. We need to get this up and running. We need to see that the return is there. And then we'll talk about longer return agreements. So this is the kind of data that lets you say, are we spending our money appropriately? It also just generally gives you really good information about your process. Oftentimes when you go and get that base data, I mean, people are surprised to say, oh, I had no idea that we were losing that many candidates out of our funnel before we ever got to point zero. You know, maybe there's a bigger issue here that we need to solve. This tech is great and fine, but we <laughs> we need to go and plug the leaky bucket before we we start to implement this. So I think having good data and looking at data, it's just one of those disciplines that help you run a well-managed, it it helps you understand who your high performers are on your team. It helps you coach the people who aren't high performers. There are just so many benefits to having data about what's going on, particularly now with so much remote work. You don't overhear the conversations. You don't see what people are doing. And so it's hard to know when to jump in and coach someone. Are they struggling or are they just got a particularly tough set of wrecks? You know, it can really help you stay on top of where you need to be focused in your time and effort if you're a TA leader. I think all of those are exactly right at the strategic level. And I would only add that at the tactical level, you know, feedback loops are really uh, an effective way for a project leader, if I'm responsible for implementing any kind of new technology, to get shared ownership in the arrival uh, and introduction of this new piece of of technology. It's a a way of uh, improving coordination, improving alignment, improving collaboration. So there, there are all kinds of tactical benefits that lead to those strategic benefits you just enumerated. And at the end of the day, we're really talking about good leadership. A feedback loop is, is one of the most effective ways to lead a project team successfully. Okay, so we, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to I give the audience the, the benefit of your experience and expertise. So are there any sort of tips or best practices that we haven't covered that you would add that you think would be important for any TA leader working on the implementation of new technology and, and installing a feedback loop? The one tip I would give is, assuming you've picked your vendor properly, make the vendor part of the process. 
don't let them run it. <laughs> but as vendors, we've implemented in many other companies. We've seen the pitfalls and the snags and where people get tripped up. We have knowledge. And, and I understand that there are vendors who are just constantly trying to upsell and constantly trying to ingratiate themselves more in an organization. And you, again, you need to set boundaries. But I will tell you, we just had a client who you know, sort of said, oh, we're, we're the experts at implementing here. We know how to do this um, and basically froze us out. And we want to say, no, no, you've already bought our product. It's not that we're trying to sell you anything more. We just want to see you successful. And there are things here that, that we'd recommend you do or things that we recommend you measure, or there are things that you might be looking to measure that really aren't going to help you get to that end result. And so I would, you know, I'd make sure you've got the right level person in the organization. It may not be the salesperson. It may be other folks in the organization, but take advantage of the expertise that's there. Because there's a reality that your vendors live this and breathe this every single day. I probably know more about recruitment marketing video than anybody out there. I've got tens of thousands of videos that have been uploaded to a platform. I watch this stuff and talk about this stuff all day, every day. And that's true with any really good vendor. So find the person in the organization that can help you and ask them to help you. Give them boundaries, but ask them to help you. I think that will make a big difference. I'm so glad you said that. And we should have added the solution provider to the list of folks, the stakeholders, if you will, uh, because I think you said it right. It, it is in the solution provider's best interest, as well as the acquiring company, the acquiring employer, to get this right. Vendors want you to be successful for very selfish reason. That means you're going to come back again when you need the product. So really the best way to look at it is as a partnership. Uh, and in that partnership, they have something to contribute to a feedback loop and implementation project. So absolutely, uh, they should be included. Well, Maury, thanks very much for being here. It's been a really insightful and, and fun conversation. I hope all of you have learned as much as I have. Please come back again next time for Start Smart the TA Tech Podcast that's all about implementing talent technology effectively. See you soon. Bye-bye now. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us. And come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.